0: I'm glad that you're here at the Mount Airy family today. There was a lady who was coming into the second service as another lady was exiting the first service and they had been at odds with one with another. They had, uh, the la- especially the lady coming out of the first service had just been kind of snotty to the lady coming into the second service and uh, it, it was not very, very good relationship but but as the lady was coming into the second service, as the lady was going out the first service, that lady going out of the first service saw her, made an intentional beeline over to her, and gave her a huge hug. The lady coming into the second service couldn't understand why in the world. What, what has motivated this? Well, why all of a sudden is she hugging on me? She didn't understand it. She, she just... Couldn't figure it out and she went and sat in the worship service and finally at the end of the message she figured out because the pastor said, now, your assignment today is this. I want you to go out there, find somebody that you can't stand and give them a hug. (laughs) I had one of my senior adults after the first service say, come here preacher, let me hug you. (laughs) But he was just jerking my chain. We, we, We have a good relationship. Wouldn't it be nice though if... If loving others was as easy as just kind of giving somebody a hug and moving on. It would be nice if that, was, if that was all that was involved. But, but loving people, especially difficult people, is a lot different from that. Do you know why we struggle so much with loving others? Because at the heart of loving others is putting the other person ahead of you. And that is a huge thing to do sometimes. Hear that one more time. At the heart of loving others... Is putting others ahead of you. That's a huge battle sometimes for all of us. You see, our default mode is to revert back to selfishness, not love. Our default mode is to revert back to what's best for me, rather than what's best for you. That's why there's a letter in the Bible that tells us over and over and over again to love one another. There's a letter in the New Testament that tells us again and again and again that we need to love one another. Because love is not something that we always do easily. It's not something that always comes naturally. From time to time, it's something that we all struggle with. I don't have any problems loving my family. I don't have any problems loving my friends. I don't have any problems loving my staff. I don't have any problems loving those people who love me. The, the times when I have problems in loving others is, is when I have to love somebody that I don't like. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're in church, come on now, be honest. Yeah, have you ever had to try to love somebody you don't like? Somebody just kind of rubs you the wrong way? Somebody that, that you just, you're just not on the same page. And yet the Bible says again and again and again. That we need to love one another because putting the other person ahead of you is what God calls you to do, but boy, it sure isn't easy sometimes. God knew that would be a struggle for us, so he had a man named John to write a letter to all of us today. And that letter is found towards the end of the New Testament in a book we call 1 John. Would you open your Bibles to the book of First 1 John. John tells us again and again the need to love one another. It's like, he, it's like he's driving a nail into a board. John hits this commandment again and again and again. Love one another. He hits it over and over and over in this short letter. I've read through the book of 1 John recently, worked through it in my personal quiet time. And again and again, I'd see it on this page and that page and this page and that page. Again and again, John keeps hitting that nail. Again and again, he tells us, Love one another. Let me just read these with you. I'll not make comment about it. I just want you to see how it flows through the entire letter. Beginning in chapter 3 of 1 John verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John says, now this is not new information. This is the message you heard from the beginning. This is the message that I've taught you when I first came to know you. When we first came together as pastor and people. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. And then he says in verse 23, look what he says, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he, what, command, not suggested, but as he commanded us to love one another. And then if you continue to read through 1 John, you'll come to chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Look what he said, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is what? God's love. So you need to love. Verse 11, skip down to verse 11, chapter 4. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There it is again. Verse 12, he hits the nail another time. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And then verse 19 through 21, he really hits that nail. And this time he hits the nail very hard. Here's what he says. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command... Whoever loves God must also love his brother. But what does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to love your brother? What in reality does that look like? Well, thankfully, John tells us in chapter 3, verse 16. Every Christian knows John 3.16, but I wonder how many of us pay attention to 1 John 3.16. Now, before I read that verse, and hopefully before you read it, let me tell you a little bit about the author before you read this verse. The author of this verse and the author of this letter is, of course, John, but there's lots of Johns in the Bible. The author of this verse and the author of this letter is the Apostle John, the disciple John. He's also the same man who wrote the Gospel of John, also the same man who wrote Second and Third John, Also the same man who wrote the book of Revelation. He also is one of the very first disciples. He and his brother James were probably the first two disciples, if not the first two, some of the first that Jesus called to follow him. James and John followed Jesus for a long time, and they were part of the inner three. James and John and Peter got to see things and experience things that the other disciples didn't even get to see and experience, like the Mount of Transfiguration and a special time in the Garden of Gethsemane. These three individuals, James and John and John and Peter, were very, very close to Jesus. But John, the author of this verse and the author of this letter, was not only close to Jesus as a disciple or a follower, John, the author of this verse that we're about to read, was also related to Jesus. He was likely a first cousin of Jesus. Now how cool would that be to say, Hey, you know who my cousin is? My cousin is Jesus. So John knew Jesus very, very well. He had known him for a long time. And for three years he followed him as a disciple of Jesus. So what we're about to read is not theory. What we're about to read is is not just uh, hearsay. What we're about to read is personal testimony. And here's what he says, chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. John said, if you want to see what love is, look at Jesus. In his death on the cross, love was fully displayed. And it's an amazing story, his death on the cross. I know most of us probably have grown up to church in church, and you know that story, but let me just give you a little bit different flavor of that story for a moment. To set the stage for you, of course you know probably that Jesus Christ was the perfect, sinless Son of God, who was born as a man in order to die for our sins. Someone said it this way, the birth of Christ brought God to man, but the death of Christ brought man to God. That was what was happening through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, John says, if you want to know what love is, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, look what it says, laid down His life for us. Now, let's imagine what that was like. His beaten, bruised, bloodied body, already beaten by the guards, whipped, was taken to Golgotha. There they laid down this wooden beams, this cross that he was supposed to lay on. Imagine what it must have been like to voluntarily lay down on that cross, knowing what's about to come. Imagine laying down on that cross, not for your sins because you've done anything wrong, but for the sins of the world. And you lay there and you stretch out your arms, knowing what is about to come. I mean... Have you ever gone to to the doctor knowing you're going to get a shot? Have you ever anticipated and just kind of cringed, and and especially when you see the needle? it's, It's a foot away from your arm, but you feel the pain before you ever experience the needle, right? Just that dread of knowing what's about to come. Just that dread of, oh, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, and you feel the pain before you ever feel the needle. Imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to lay out his arms on that wooden beam, knowing what was about to come. It wasn't a needle. It was a spike that was driven through his hand. And the pain receptors, those nerves in his hand began to, to blast out in pain and and sending waves of pain through his arm and his entire body. And, and if that wasn't enough, then they took his second hand. And, and once again, they drove a spike through that hand. And, and those nerve endings, those pain receptors, began to scream and, and send pain radiating through his arm or through his whole body. And, and if that wasn't enough, then they, they took his feet and, and they put one on top of the other and took a large spike and they drove it through the top and the bottom of his feet down into that wooden beam. Imagine the agony, the pain, the, just your whole body agonizing in pain. And if that wasn't enough, the worst pain was yet to come. Because the worst pain was the most agonizing pain of all. It was when as he was hanging there nailed to that cross, he experienced what he had never experienced before, the separation from God because he had become our sin. And he cried out, my God. By God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And John was there that day when Jesus did that. John was there that day and saw them put the nails in his hands and in his feet. John was there that day when when he heard Jesus say, Why have you forsaken me? John was an eyewitness to all of that and that's why John wrote these words. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love looks like. This is how we know what real love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Laid down His life for us. You see, I'm convinced. The nails did not hold Jesus to the cross. Love did. Love is what took Him there. And love is what kept Him there. He showed us what love looks like. He showed us that love is an action, not a feeling. He showed us that love sacrifices for the one who is loved. He showed us that love does cost. But so far, you don't have a problem with any of that, do you? So far, you don't have, you're not struggling probably with any of that. It's the next part of the verse that we struggle with. Because John says in verse 16, the second part, and we ought to lay down our lives... Our brothers. Now what does that mean? And what does that look like? Uh, very few of us will ever be asked to literally, physically lay down our lives for somebody. So what does it mean for us, for you and I? If we want to try to live out this scripture, what does it mean when God says, And we ought to lay down our lives for, for our brothers. What does that mean? What does that look like? Thankfully, he tells us in verse 17. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him how can the love of God be in him? Notice how John wisely changes from talking about the brothers plural in verse 16 to his brother singular in verse 17. You see it's easy to talk about your love for all the brothers and never help a single individual. So John brings this down to a this discussion down to a very practical pointed illustration. He says if you, if you have material possessions and you see your brother in need but you don't have any pity on him how, he asked how can the love of God be in him? Now I want everybody to look at your pastor for a moment uh, see if you've struggled with this like I have especially when you read this verse and you're trying to figure out how to live it out Have you ever done this? Have you ever struggled with that guy who stands at the intersection holding a sign? Hungry, need food. Hungry, willing to work. And, and, you know, there's two or three cars in front of you and you're wrestling with what should you do and your family's in the car and you're trying to set the right example but you're not sure what the right thing is to do. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I want to give him some money. I want to help him. I don't have any It's in Greenville. He can't come work with me. uh, So... All all I can do is give him money, but I don't want to give him money because he's going to use it to buy liquor or he's going to use it to buy drugs. Now, he might really use it to buy food, but I don't know, and I'm wrestling with that inside. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that, but, man, I'm wrestling with that inside. So how in the world do we decide whether or not we should help him? Not only that, like in our church, we have a backpack ministry, and, and we feed, I don't remember exactly how many it is, 30, 35, some of you are so dedicated that ministry and thank you for doing that and and i think we feed 30 35 families you see these kids have free lunches during the week and we send backpacks with them home on the weekends full of food and we feed them over the weekend because without that they wouldn't have a whole lot to eat but there's still hundreds of other families isn't there hundreds of other hungry families other hungry kids and we we can't help them all there's no way we can help them all the only thing that encourages me a little bit is when I read in the Gospels, Jesus went into towns and villages and he never, rarely did he ever heal everybody in the village. Rarely did he ever fix and feed everybody in the village. So how in the world do we balance this out where we really wanted to live out the Scripture but we find it hard to decide? Should I help this one? Should I help that one? Well, thankfully, in verse 17, he gives three conditions that we can use to help us decide in whether or not we we're going to do something. First, he says, I must have the means, the means necessary to meet that need. He says, if anyone has material possessions. First of all, that's the first condition that has to be met. Do you have the means necessary to meet the need? So if somebody's needing money, and I'm at, the, I'm at that intersection, and I reach in my pocket, and I don't have any cash on me, then I don't have to really feel bad about that. I can pray for him and hope he gets help, but I don't have anything to give him, so I don't have to feel bad because I don't have it. It's when I've got it in my pocket, and, he's got, and the need is in front of me. That's when I really have to wrestle with this, isn't it? First condition is, do I have the material possessions necessary to meet the need? Second is this. I must know that the need exists. John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need. In other words, I've got to know that this need exists. It's not that I have to be responsible for all the poor people and all the hurting people and all the struggling people and I've got to help everybody. I can't do that. You can't do that. We can't do that as a church. He says, but let's just use this as an illustration. There's somebody in front of you who has a need and you have the means necessary to help them. Third condition is this. I must be loving enough to want to share. Because John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, he asks this question. How can the love of God be in him? When I was reading this, it reminded me of something, a story that Jesus once told. Because look what it says in verse 17, the middle of the verse. And he sees his brother in need, but has no pity. Does that sound like any story you've read or heard in the New Testament? Sound like any story maybe that Jesus told? Just give you a hint. Jesus once told a story about a man who was walking down a road. Are you getting it? Are you figuring out what the story is yet? It's the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, John was there that day. Remember who wrote this book? A follower of Jesus, a cousin of Jesus. John was there that day when Jesus told that story for the first time. Jesus said, okay, I got this story I want you to, let me, let me tell you the story. John was there. And Jesus said it goes something like this. There was a man that was traveling from Jerusalem down to, down to Jericho. That modern day road, by the way, the modern day road... Still follows that ancient route. I've been on that road down from Jerusalem, or up from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And I've been on that road. It's about 17 miles long. And it drops about 3,600 feet through the Judean desert. It is a desolate area. In fact, let me just show you a picture of what this road looks like. So you're going from up in Jerusalem down this windy, deserted, rocky, desolate area. Even today, there's not very much between Jerusalem and Jericho. Even today. And so when someone was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it was a perfect spot if you, were, if you wanted to rob somebody, it was a perfect spot to rob them. Because there was nobody around. And you could rob them and attack them, and then you could run up into the hills to hide and get away. In fact, this road used to be called the Bloody Way. Or the way of blood. Because so many people were attacked and robbed on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so when Jesus told this story, he put it in this setting. And everybody who was listening to him was probably shaking their heads. Yeah, I know. I've been on that road. That's a danger. Yeah, I've seen some people like you're talking about. So Jesus said, here's the story. There was a man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Traveling by himself and he was attacked attacked by a group of robbers and they beat him they stripped him of his clothes and they left him half dead jesus said then there was another guy walking down this road a little bit later and he was a priest you'd expect the priest to stop and to help but he saw the man notice the words he saw the man and he went to the other side of the road and continued to walk jesus said there was another man who came after the priest and he was a levite he was a a worker in the temple, and he came and he saw the man, and like the priest, he turned to the other side of the road and he kept walking. Then Jesus said, and then there was a Samaritan. Now, that would have caused a stir in the crowd when they heard this story for the first time. The Samaritans were a mix of Jew and Gentile, and the Jews did not like them. In fact, they had names for Samaritans. The Jews had names for Samaritans, names like half-breeds, heathen dogs. They did not like the Samaritans. In fact, the Jews of that day would never have put the words good and Samaritan in the same sentence. They never would have titled this story the good Samaritan. For the Jews, that did not exist. There is no such thing as a good Samaritan in the mind of the Jews of that day. So, Jesus said this story. He said, There was a Samaritan. He came down and he. Listen to this. Verse 33 in the story. Luke 10. You don't have to turn there, but Luke 10 33 says, And when the Samaritan came to that man, he saw him and had pity on him. He saw him and had pity on him. It said, And because of that, he stopped. He bandaged his wounds, put him on his own donkey carried him to the inn, gave the innkeeper two silver coins and said, take care of him while I'm gone. When I come back in a few days, if I owe you anything more, I'll take care of the rest of it. John was there that day when Jesus told that story. And I really believe he had it in mind when he wrote these words. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how? Can the love of God be in Him? John wants to make clear that real love is about meeting needs. Listen to this, church. Real love is not something you declare, it is something that you do. That's love. We're tempted to reduce the idea of loving others to something that we say, we're tempted to reduce the idea of loving others to something that we do or to something that we feel. But John says it's not really just something that you feel. It's not just something that you say. It is something that you do. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ felt love for you. No. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for you. It's interesting that James, John's brother, who was also a follower of Jesus, wrote about this same idea. Uh, Go quickly, if you will, to the book of James. Uh, The book of James chapter 2. Just over to the left, you'll you'll find it. James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. James, brother of John, follower of Jesus, who had heard that story of the Good Samaritan. James says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? See, when a need is present, we can do one of two things to address that need. We can talk about it, or we can do something to meet the need. Now, I love being a Southern Baptist, but you know what? We Baptists oftentimes talk about something so long, we think we've already done it. Sometimes people think that if they talk about a need, and if they've prayed about a need, then they've met the need. No, not really. No, you really haven't. Love involves more than words, and it it involves more than feelings. Love involves actions. John says in, in 1 John 3, 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Living Bible translates it this way. Little children, let us stop just saying we love people, let us really love them and show it by our actions. Let us show it by our actions. You know what? We did that recently as a church. I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. Uh, but recently as a church, do you remember? Uh, I don't. How long has it been? A couple of months ago when we took up, we raised money for some wells in Uganda. You guys remember that? We found out there was two villages. We got missionaries in Uganda named the Lawsons, and they told us about two villages that were drinking out of a polluted, polluted lake. And there was fecal matter and flesh-eating bacteria in that lake, and the people were drinking out of that, and they were getting sick. They used to have clean water, but their pumps broke. And we found out about that, and so we raised money to restore the pumps in those two villages. I got an email just this week from the Lawsons to say, the pumps are, are installed. The wells are operational. The people in those two villages are drinking clean water again. And I got a few pictures I thought I'd, I'd show, it, show you. This is one of the villages, and I'm, I'm sure I'm probably not saying this right. Kyanja is, is what I'm going to say, but there's probably something else. You could probably say it better. Uh, but this is one of the two villages that we helped. And look at this next picture. This is the pump that you installed. New pump. Look at the next one. This is the, the, the masonry building, that was small little thing that was built around that pump. That's the pump station, basically, that you built that. And you see the lake where they're drawing the water out of. You see the lake there where they're drawing the water from, from the lake through this pump station. And then look what, what happens to it. It goes from this place up to this treatment center uh, there for, where all the water is cleaned and treated. And then look at this next one. Then it's pumped into this tap in the middle of the village. And now these, these people are, are there drinking clean water again. And I, you can't see it very well from where you are, but this little guy here in the red shirt, if you were able to look at that picture on my computer, you can actually see into his cup, and it's filled with sparkling clean water. Look at this last picture. These, these, these guys are just drinking clean water. Do you know why they are drinking clean water today? Do you know why? For this reason, you, t- you saw a need, you had pity on them, and you went into action. And that, the Bible says, is love. Love is not something that we say. It is not something that we feel. It involves that, but love goes deeper than that. Love is something we do. In fact, in Romans 5, 8, God puts it this way. But God demonstrated His love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated His love. Because love is something that we do. So we're going to give you a chance to do this locally. I don't mean necessarily fix pumps or dig wells. But we're going to give you a chance on May 31st to do here what we've done in Uganda. We're going to give you a chance on May 31st to make God's love visible. In a missions opportunity, we're calling Love Loud. Love Loud is a key component of our Acts 18 strategy. It's a one-day mission trip to the community. The vision is simply this. It's to model the love of Jesus Christ and to meet the needs in our community. So I want to show you this little video. And, and on May 31st, you're going to have the opportunity to be, part, to be part of something very, very special. So watch this video to help you understand the impact you and I can make as we just decide to love people in our community. Keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute. And love without stopping. What would it look like if people of all ages and occupations came together? If men and women of all backgrounds and with different stories united with the next generation to shake our city with the love of Christ, con el amor de Cristo, to see what he sees. He sees people, people who feel invisible, people with names, people with needs, people like me, 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 and people like me. Love Loud isn't just a call to action. Es un llamado a abrir tus ojos. It's a call to open your eyes. The reality is that there are people I meet every single day with real needs. And if I stop long enough to see beyond the surface and start looking at others as God does, I can be the difference. It's easy to see a need and pass by thinking to yourself. Someone else will help. Somebody else is better equipped. Some think Love Loud is a weekend or a project or a moment in time. It's not. It's not. It's about all of us coming together and resolving that there are too many people hurting, too many people suffering, too many people living under the yoke of injustice to sit by and do nothing. It's about me and my generation working alongside me and my generation and my generation to make a difference. Because the message of Jesus is a message of continuous love. Love without stopping. It's about all of us doing something a lot of people have asked. Can one more program change things? Can one more person or one more dollar? One more idea? Or even one more smile? Can one more weekend change the world? That is up to us. So it's Saturday, May 31st. We're going to give you the chance to do what we just read about today. It says, Dear friends or dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. May 31st is a one-day mission trip to our community where we're going to love the needy and the neglected in our community. Love them loudly. and Let them see the name of Jesus Christ. So Here's what I need you to do. There's, there's a flyer there on your pew. I want you to get that on the end of the pew. It looks like this. Pass them across so that everybody has one. Up in the balcony, you should have them as well. Just everybody get a flyer. Pass it across. I would love for you just to go ahead and sign up right now. Uh, you can see that all the different projects. Now, I've added it up. We need 411 people to sign up. Listen to that number. We need 411 people to sign up in order to fully staff all of our projects. As of last Sunday night uh, at our special event, we had about 45 or so, I think, sign up already. Uh, but we need a total of 411 people. Now, we need you to put your name, email, cell phone, all that kind of stuff Your first, second, and third choice of where you would like to serve. Listen to this carefully. You do not have to be a member to be part of Love Loud. You could be a first-time guest and be part of Love Loud. This is also a family event. It's for your entire family. We just ask that if you have elementary uh, school-age children that they serve with you wherever you're serving. All right. But we want whole families to serve. It is an incredible mission day. And we hope to have... uh, 411 people at least signed up to be a part of this day. Fill it out right now. This this is part of our invitation. This is your response to the message today. Just take a moment, fill it out. Now, I understand that some of you may need to say, well, I need to talk to my family and uh, or I, you know, my son's down at the LC service. We need to decide where we're going to serve. And that's okay. You can do that next week if you want to sign up next week. But as many as can, if you'll fill it out today, that'll help us plan. The more we can get in today, the easier it will be uh, for us to plan for this and so I know Ron would appreciate you taking the time just to tell us where you'd like to serve and we'll do our best to help you with that now here's what you do with that form once you get it filled out and again you don't have to be a member anybody can participate once you get it filled out as you're leaving today there are orange buckets at every door so as you're, as you're leaving look for the orange bucket just drop that in the bucket and then we'll be in touch later Okay? I want you to bow your heads as we close the service I want you to think about this as we're getting ready to leave. You probably, without a doubt, have heard this statement. You could finish the sentence if if I were to give you the opportunity. You've heard the statement, I know. Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. On May 31st, as a church family, let's just get out into the community. A one-day mission event. Let's love the needy in our community. Let's love those who are neglected in our community. Let's show them the love of God. May they see that love in us because He first loved us. Father, I thank You for this special church family. Thank You for the opportunity that we will have on May 31st to deliberately go into our community and hundreds of us going in our community to serve the needy and the neglected. I pray, God, that lives would be changed through what we do. And I pray that you'd show us. I know one day's not enough. We can't just love people on one day, but show us what it looks like, what it feels like to love loudly, to put our love into action. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.